Chapter 19 of Pilgrimage to Almadina and Mecca. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 19 of Personal Narrative of a Pilgrimage to Almadina and Mecca by Richard Francis Burton. A Ride to the Mosque of Cuba. The principal places of Pius visitation in the vicinity of Al-Medina are the mosques of Cuba, the cemetery Al-Bakiya, and the Martyr Hamshah tomb at the foot of Mount Ohod. This the Zaire is directed by all Uleyme to visit, and on the holy ground to pray Allah for a blessing upon himself and upon his brethren of the faith. Early one Sunday morning I started for Cuba with a motley crowd of devotees. Sheikh Hamid, my Musavir, was by my side, mounted upon an ass more miserable than I had yet seen. The boy Muhammad had procured for me a Meccan dromedary with splendid trappings, a saddle with burnished metal peaks before and behind, covered with a huge sheepskin dyed crimson, and girthed over fine saddlebags, whose enormous tassels hung almost to the ground. The youth himself, being too grand to ride a donkey, and unable to borrow a horse, preferred walking. He was proud as a peacock, being habited in a style somewhat resembling the plume of that gorgeous bird, in the coat of many colors, yellow, red, and golden flowers, apparently sewed on a field of bright green silk, which cost me so dear in the harem. He was armed, as indeed all of us were, in readiness for the Badouin, and he anxiously awaited opportunities of discharging his pistol. Our course lay from Sheikh Hamid's house in the Manakah, along and up the Fiumara, al and through Babkuba, a little gate in the suburb wall, where, by the by, my mounted company was nearly trampled down by a rush of half-wild camels. Outside the town, in this direction, southward, is a plain of clay, mixed with chalk, and here and there with sand, whence protrude blocks and ridges of basalt. As far as Cuba, and the Hara rides to the west, the earth is sweet and makes excellent gaglets. Footnote. The Baradilla, or gaglets of Almidana, are large and heavy, of a reddish-gray color, and celebrated for cooling water, a property not possessed by those of Meccan fabric. End footnote. Immediately outside the gate I saw a kiln, where they were burning tolerable bricks. Shortly after leaving the suburb, an Indian, who joined our party upon the road, pointed out on the left of the way what he declared was the place of the celebrated Khandak, or Moat, the Torres Verdes of Arabian history. Footnote. I afterwards found reason to doubt this location. In Jubayar, 12th century, places it an arrow shot from the westward wall of Almidanah, and seems to have seen it. M. C. de Perceval states, I know not upon whose authority, that it was dug to protect the northwest, the north, and the northeastern sides of the town. This is rendered highly improbable by the features of the ground. The learned are generally agreed that all traces of the moat had disappeared before our fifteenth century. End footnote. Presently the Nahil, or palm plantations, began. Nothing lovelier to the eye, wear with hot red glare, than the rich green waving crops and the cool shade, 
the food of vision, as the Arabs call it, and pure water to the parched throat. For hours I could have sat and looked at it. The air was soft and balmy. A perfumed breeze, strange luxury in Al-Hijjah, wandered amongst the date fronds. There were fresh flowers and spring foliage. In fact, at midsummer, every beautiful feature of spring. Nothing more delightful to the ear than the warbling of the small birds, that sweet familiar sound, the splashing of tiny cascades from the wells into the wooden throughs, and the musical song of the water wheels. Travelers, young travelers, in the east, talk of the dismal grating, the mournful monotony, and the melancholy creaking of these dismal machines. To the veteran wanderer their sound is delightful from association, reminding him of fields and watercourses, and hospitable villages and plentiful crops. The expatriated Nubian, for instance, listens to the water-wheel with as deep emotion as the Rantz de Vachers ever excited in the hearts of Switzer mercenary at Naples, or Lobacher no more, among a regiment of highlanders in the West Indies. The date trees of Al-Medinah merit their celebrity. Their stately columnar stems here seems higher than in other lands, and their lower fronts are allowed to tremble in the breeze without mutilation. Footnote. In Egypt the lower branches of the date are lopped off about Christmas time to increase the flavor of the fruit, and the people believe that without this taklim, as it's called, the tree would die. In Upper Egypt, however, as at Al-Madinah, the fronts are left untouched. End footnote. These enormous palms were loaded with ripening fruits, and the clusters, carefully tied up, must often have weighted upwards of eighty pounds. They hung down between the lower branches by a bright yellow stem, as thick as a man's ankle. Books enumerate a hundred and thirty-nine varieties of trees. Of these between sixty and seventy are well known, and each is distinguished, as usual among Arabs, by its peculiar name. The best kind is El Shalebi. It is packed in skins, or in flat round boxes covered with paper, somewhat in the manner of French prunes, and sent as presents to the remotest parts of the Muslim world. Footnote. The visitor from Al-Medina would be badly received by the women of his family if he did not present them on his return with a few boxes of dates, some strings of the same fruit, and skins full of henna powder. Even the ulema allow such articles to be carried away, although they strictly forbid keepsakes of earth or stone. End footnote. The fruit is about two inches long, with a small stone, and has a peculiar aromatic flavor and smell. It is seldom eaten by the citizens on account of the price, which varies from two to ten piastres to the pound. The tree, moreover, is rare, and is said to be not so productive as the other species. The Ajoa date. Footnote. This fruit must not be confounded with the enucleated conserve of dates, which, in Arabia as in Egypt, is known by the name of Ajwa. The Arabs infinitely despise the stuff sold at Alexandria and Cairo, declaring that it is fit only for cows. The Ajwa of Oasis, particularly of Ziwa, is of excellent quality. End footnote. 
The Ajwa date is eaten but not sold, because a tradition of the prophet declares that whoso breaks his fast every day with six or seven of these fruits need fear neither poison nor magic. The third kind, Al-Hilwa, is also a large date, derives a name from its exceeding sweetness. Of this poem the Muslims relate that the prophet planted a stone which in a few minutes grew up and bore fruit. Next comes Al-Birni, of which was said, it caused sickness to depart, and there is no sickness in it. The washi on one occasion bent its head and salamed to Muhammad as he ate its fruit, for which reason even now its lofty tuft turns earthwards. The Saihani, crier, is so called because when the founder of Al-Islam, holding Ali's hand, happened to pass beneath, it cried, This is Muhammad, the prince of prophets, and this is Ali, the prince of the pious, and the progenitor of the immaculate imams. Footnote. So, in A.D. 1272, the crucifix spoke to St. Thomas Aquinas. Superstitions are of no age or country. End footnote. Of course the descendants of so intelligent a vegetable hold high rank in the kingdom of poems, and the vulgar were in the habit of eating the saihani and of throwing the stones about the harim. The kuseiria is thus named because it preserves its green color even when ripe. It is dried and preserved as a curiosity. The jabali is the common fruit. The poorest kinds are the laun and the hilaya, costing from four to seven piastres per mud. Footnote. At Al-Medina, twelve dirams, drams, make one wakayah ounce. Twenty wakayah make one rattle pound. Thirty-three wakayah and three drams make one waka, less than two pounds. Four waka make one mud. Twenty-four mud make one ardeb. This rattle, or pound, is the larger one applied to particular articles of commerce, such as meat, vegetables, and clarified butter. Coffee, rice, soap, etc. are sold by the smaller rattle of Mecca, equal to 140 dirhams. In Egypt, the rattle is 144 dirhams, or 12 vakaya, about 1 pound, 2 ounces, and 8 pennyweight troy. End footnote. I cannot say that the dates of Al-Madinah are finer than those of Mecca, although it is highly heretical to hold such tenet. The produce of the former city was the favorite food of the Prophet, who invariably broke his fast with it, a circumstance which invests it with a certain degree of relic sanctity. The citizens delight in speaking of dates as an Irishman does of potatoes, with a manner of familiar fondness. They eat them for medicine as well as for food. Rutab, or wet dates, being held to be the most saving, as it is doubtless the most savory of remedies. The fruit is prepared in a great variety of ways. The favorite dish is a broil with clarified butter, extremely distasteful to the European palate. The date is also left upon the tree to dry, and then called bala. This is eaten at dessert as the nuclear, the quatre mendicants of Persia. Amongst peculiar preparations must be mentioned the Kulladat al-Sham. Footnote. 
necklace of Syria. I was told they derived this name from the place where they are made, Al-Safra on the Mecca road, being also called Al-Sham, Damascus. End footnote. Kuladet al-Sham, necklace of Sham. The unripe fruit is dipped in boiling water to preserve its gamboge color, strung upon a thick thread and hung out in the air to dry. These strings are worn all over Al-Hijaj as necklaces by his children, who seldom fail to munch the ornament when not in fear of slappings, and they are sent as presents to distant countries. January and February are the time for the masculation of the palm. Footnote. This masculation is a translation of the Arab word tazgir, which is certainly more appropriate than our caprification applied to dates. End footnote. The Nahwali, as he is called, opens the female flower, and having inserted the inverted male blossom, binds them together. This operation is performed, as in Egypt, upon each cluster. Footnote. The male tree is known by its sterility. In some countries only the fecundating pollen is scattered over the female flower, and this doubtless must have been nature's method of impregnating the date. End footnote. The fruit is ripe about the middle of May, and the gathering of it forms the Arabs' vendemia. The people make merry the more readily, because their favorite diet is liable to a variety of accidents. Droughts injure the tree, locusts destroy the produce, and the date crop, like most productions which men are imprudent enough to adopt singly as the staff of life, is often subject to complete failure. One of the reasons for the excellence of Madina dates is the quantity of water they obtain. Each garden or field has its well, and even in the hottest weather the Persian wheel floods the soil every third day. It has been observed that the date tree can live in dry and barren spots, but it loves the beds of streams and places where moisture is procurable. The palms scattered over the other parts of the plain and depending solely upon rainwater, produce less fruit, and that too of an inferior quality. Verdure is not usually wholesome in Arabia, yet invalids leave the close atmosphere of Al-Medina to seek health under the cool shades of Cuba. The gardens are divided by what might almost be called lanes, long narrow lines with tall reed fences on both sides. The graceful branches of the tamarisk pearled with manna and cottoned over with dew, and the broad leaves of the castor plant glistening in the sun protected us from the morning rays. The ground on both sides of the way was sunken, the earth being disposed in heaps at the foot of the fences, an arrangement which facilitates irrigation by giving a fall to the water and in some cases affords a richer soil than the surface. This part of the Medina plain, however, being higher than the rest, is less subject to the disease of salt and nitre. On the way, here and there, the earth crumbles and looks dark under the dew of the morning, but nowhere has it broken out into that glittering efflorescence which denotes the last stage of the attack. The fields and gardens are divided into small oblongs, separated from one another by little ridges of mould which form diminutive watercourses. Of the cereals there are luxuriant maize, wheat, and barley, but the latter two are in small quantities. 
Here and there batches of barthim, or Egyptian clover, glitter brightly in the sunbeams. The principal vegetables are badanjan, eggplant, the bamiya, a kind of esculent hibiscus called wendi in India, and muluhiya, cohoris olitorius, omuculation spinach, common throughout this part of the east. These three are eaten by citizens of every rank. They are, in fact, the potatoes and the greens of Arabia. I remarked also onions and leeks in fair quantities, a few beds of carrots and beans, some fijl, radishes, lift, turnips, gorge, cucumbers, and similar plants. Fruit trees abound. There are five descriptions of vines, the best of which is Allah Sharifi, a long white grape of a flavor somewhat resembling the produce of Tuscany. Footnote. The resemblance is probably produced by the similarity of treatment. At Al-Madina, as in Italy, the wine is married to some tall tree, which, selfish as a husband, appropriates to itself the best of everything, sun, breeze, and rain. End footnote. Next to it, and very similar, is Alberni. The hijashi is a round fruit, sweet but insipid, which is also the reproach of the sawadi, or black grape. And lastly, the raziki is a small white fruit with a diminutive stone. The nebek, lote, or jojubi is here a fine large tree with a dark green leaf, roundish and polished like the olive. It is armed with short, curved and sharp thorn. Footnote. This thorn, the Ramnus nabica, or Zisiphus spina Christi, is supposed to be that which crowned the Saviour's head. There are mimosas in Syria, but no tree save the fabled Tzakum could produce the terrible apparatus with which certain French painters of the modern school have attempted to heighten the terrors of the scene. End footnote. And bears a pale straw-colored berry, about the size of the gooseberry, with red streaks on the side next to the sun. Little can be said in favor of the fruit, which have been compared successively by disappointed lotus-eaters. Footnote. For what reason I am entirely unable to guess, our dictionaries translate the word cedar, the literary name of the tree that bears the nebek, lot tree. No wonder that believers in Homeric writ feel their anger aroused by so poor a realization of the beautiful myth. End footnote. By disappointed lotus-eaters to a bad plum, an unripe cherry, and an insipid apple. It is, however, a favorite with the people of Al-Medina, who have recurred many varieties of the fruit, Hindi, Indian, Baladi, Native, Tamri, Date-like, and others. There are a few peaches, hard like the Egyptian, and almost tasteless, fit only for stewing, but greedily eaten in a half-ripe state. Large, coarse bananas, lime trees, a few watermelons, figs and apples, but neither apricots nor pears. Footnote. The only pears in al I believe, are to be found at Taif, to which place they were transplanted from Egypt. End footnote. There are three kinds of pomegranates. The best is the shami, Syrian. It is red outside, very sweet, and costs one piaster. 
The turkey is large and of white color. The misery has a greenish rind and a somewhat subacid and harsh flavor. The latter are sold at one-fourth the price of the best. I never saw in the East, except at Mecca, finer fruits than the chamois, almost soundless like those of Mascar. They are delicately perfumed and as large as an infant's head. Al-Madinah is celebrated like Daif for its rubriman, a thick pomegranate syrup, drunk with water during the hot weather, and estimated cooling and wholesome. After threading our way through the gardens, an operation requiring less time than to describe them, we saw, peeping through the groves, Cuba's simple minaret. Then we came in sight of a confused heap of huts and dwelling-houses, chapels and towers with trees between, and foul lanes, heaps of rubbish and barking dogs, the usual material of a Hayaji village. Having dismounted, we gave our animals in charge of a dozen infant Badouin, the produce of the peasant gardeners who shouted bakshis the moment they saw us. To this they were urged by their mothers, and I willingly parted with a few paras for the purpose of establishing an intercourse with fellow creatures so fearfully and wonderfully resembling the tailless baboon. Their bodies, unlike those of Egyptian children, were slim. Footnote. Travelers always remark the curious pot-bellied children on the banks of the Nile. This conformation is admired by the Egyptians, who consider it a sign of strength and the promise of fine growth. End footnote. Slim and straight, but the ribs stood out with curious distinctness. The color of the skin was that oily lamp-black seen upon the face of an European sweep, and the elf-locks thatching the coconut heads had been stained by the sun, wind, and rain to that reddish-brown hue which Hindu romances have appropriated to their rakshas or demons. Each anatomy carried in his arms a stagnate miniature of himself, fierce-looking babies with faces all eyes, and the strong little wretches were still able to extend the right hand and exert their lungs with direful clamor. Their mothers were fit progenitors for such progeny. Long gaunt with emaciated limbs, wall-sided, high-shouldered and straight-backed, with bandless bosoms, spider-like arms and splay feet. Their long elf-locks, wrinkled faces and high cheekbones, their lips darker than the epidermis, hollow staring eyes, sparkling as if to light up the extreme ugliness around, and voices screaming as though in a perennial rage, invested them with all the charm of Sikorex. These houris of Jenneham were habited in long nightgowns dyed blue to conceal want of washing, and the squalid children had about a yard of the same material wrapped around their waists for all toilette. This is not an overdrawn portrait of the farmer race of Arabs, the most despised by their fellow countrymen, and the most hard-favored, morally as well as physically, of all the breed. Before entering the mosque of Al-Kuba, footnote, I believe Kuba to be about three miles south-southeast of Al-Medinah, but Allah Idrisi, Ibn Hawkai, and Ibn Jubayr all agree in saying two miles. Before entering the mosque of Al-Kuba, it will be necessary to call to mind some passages of its past history. When the apostle Shekamel, al kathwa 
as she was approaching Al-Madinah after the flight from Mecca, knelt down here. He desired his companions to mount the animal. Abu Bakr and Omar did so. Footnote. Osman, the fourth companion, was absent at this time, not having returned from the first little flight to Abyssinia. End footnote. Still she sat upon the ground, but when Ali obeyed the order, she arose. The apostle bade him lose her halter, for she was directed by Allah, and the mosque walls were built upon the line over which she trod. It was the first place of public prayer in al-Islam. Muhammad laid the first brick, and with an anza, or iron-shot javelin, marked out the direction of prayer. Footnote. Some believe that in this mosque the direction of prayer was altered from Jerusalem to Mecca, and they declare, as will presently be seen, that the archangel Gabriel himself pointed out the new line. M.C. the Percival forgets his usual accuracy when he asserts, Le mirable de la mosque de Medine, qui fut d'abord place au nord, fut transféré au midi, et la mosquée prit le nom de Majid al-Kitayblain, mosquée de deux Qiblas. In the first place, the mirab is the invention of a later date, about ninety years. And secondly, the title of al-Kiblatin is never now given to mosque of al-Medina. End footnote. Marked out the direction of prayer, each of his successor followed his example. According to most historians, the land belonged to Abu Ayyub the Ansari, the apostle's host, for which reason the Beit Ayyub, his descendants, still perform the service of the mosque, keep the key, and share with the Bawabs, or porters, the alms and fees here offered by the faithful. Others declared that the ground was the property of one Lainah, a woman who was in the habit of tethering her ass there. Footnote. This degrading report caused certain hypocrites to build a kind of rival chapel, caused the mosque Zarar. It was burnt to the ground shortly after its erection, and all known of it is that it stood near Cuba. End footnote. The apostle used to visit it every Saturday. Footnote. Some say on Monday, probably because on that day Muhammad alighted at Cuba. But the present practice of al-Islam, handed down from generation to generation, is to visit it on the Saturday. End footnote. Every Saturday on foot, and always made a point of praying at the dawn prayer there on the seventieth Ramazan. Footnote. There is on this day at Cuba a regular ziyarat or visitation. The people pray in the harim of Al-Madinah, after which they repair to the Cuba mosque and go through the ceremonies which in a religious efficacy equal an umrah or lesser pilgrimage. In books I have read that the 15th of Ramazan is the proper day. End footnote. A number of traditions testify to its dignity. Of these, two are especially significant. The first assures all Muslims that a prayer at Cuba is equal to a lesser pilgrimage at Mecca in a religious efficacy and the second declares that such devotion is more acceptable to the deity than prostrations at the Beit al-Mukudas, Jerusalem. Moreover, sundry miracles took place here, and a version of the Quran descended from heaven. 
for which reasons the mosque was much respected by Omar, who, once finding it empty, swept it himself with a broom of thorns, and expressed his wonder at the lukewarmness of Muslim piety. It was originally a square building of a very small size. Osman enlarged it in the direction of the minaret, making it sixty-six cubits each way. It is no more mean and decayed as in Burkhardt's time. The Sultan Abd al-Hamid, father of the Sultan Mahmud, erected a minaret of Turkish shape and a neat structure of cut stone, whose crenelles make it look more like a place of defense than of prayer. It has, however, no pretensions to grandeur. To the south, a small and narrow rewak porch, with unpretending columns, looks out northwards upon a little open area simply sanded over, and this is the whole building. The large mastabah, or stone bench, at the entrance of the mosque, was crowded with sitting people. We therefore lost no time after ablution and the niyat, the intention, peculiar to this visitation, in ascending the steps, in pulling off our slippers, and in entering the sacred building. We stood upon the Musalla al-Nabi, the Prophet's place of prayer. Footnote. This is believed to be the spot where the Prophet performed his first rukah, or prayer bow. End footnote. After Sheikh Nur and Hamid had forcibly declared that auspicious spot of a devout Indian, and had spread a rug upon the dirty matting, we performed a two-bow prayer, in front of a pillar into which a diminutive marble mirhab, or niche, had been inserted by way of memento. Then came the dua, or supplication, which was as follows. O Allah, bless and preserve and increase and perpetuate and benefit, and be propitious to our Lord Muhammad and to his family and to his companions and be thou their preserver. O Allah, this is the mosque Kuba and the place of the Prophet's prayers. O Allah, pardon our sins and veil our faults and place not over us one who feareth not thee and who pitieth not us and pardon us, and the true believers, men and women, the quick of them and the dead, for verily thou, O Lord, art the hearer, the near to us, the answerer to our supplications. After which we recited the testification and the fatiha, and we drew our palms, as usual, down our faces. We then moved away to the southeastern corner of the edifice, and stood before a mirhab in the southern wall. It is called Takat al-Kashf, or niche of disclosure, by those who believe that as the Prophet was standing undecided about the direction of Mecca, the archangel Gabriel removed all obstructions to his vision. There again we went through the two-bow prayer, the supplication, the testification, and the fatiha, under difficulties for people mobbed us excessively. During our devotions I vainly attempted to decipher a Kufic inscription fixed in the wall above and on the right of the mihab. My regret, however, at this failure was transitory, the character not being of an ancient date. Then we left the rewak, and, despite the morning sun, which shone fiercely with a sickly heat, we went to the open area where stands the Mabrak al-Nakar, or the place of kneeling of the Shidromedari. Footnote. Mabrak is the locative noun from the three-literal root baraka, he blessed, or he, the camel, 
knelt upon the ground. Perhaps this philological connection may have determined Mohammed to consider the kneeling of the dromedary a sign that Allah had blessed the spot. End footnote. This, the exact spot where Al-Kaswa sat down, is covered with a diminutive dome of cut stone, supported by four stone pillars. The building is about eight feet high, and a little less in length and in breadth. It has the appearance of being modern. On the floor, which was raised by steps above the level of the ground, lay, as usual, a bit of dirty matting, upon which we again went through the ceremonies above detailed. Then issuing from the canopy into the sun, a little outside the riwak and close to the mabrak, we prayed upon the makan al-ayat, footnote. Ayat here means a verset of the Koran. Some authors apply the above-quoted lines to the Prophet's mosque at Al-Medina exclusively, others to both buildings. End footnote. We prayed upon the Makan al-Ayat, or the place of signs. Here was revealed to Muhammad a passage in the Quran, especially alluding to the purity of the place and the people of Cuba, a temple founded in purity from its first day. And again, there live men who love to be cleansed, and verily Allah delights in the clean. The Prophet exclaimed in admiration, O ye sons of Amr, what have you done to deserve all this place and beneficence? When the people offered him an explanation of their personal cleanliness, which I do not care to repeat. The temple of Cuba from that day took a fresh title, Majid al-Taqwa, or the Mosque of Piety. Having finished our prayers and ceremonies at the Mosque of Piety, we fought our way through a crowd of importunate beggars, and, turning a few paces to the left, halted near a small chapel adjoining the southwest angle of the larger temple. We there stood at a grated window in the western wall, and recited a supplication, looking the while reverently at a dark dwarf archway, under which the Lady Fatima used to sit grinding grain in the handmill. The mosque, in consequence, bears the name of Sitna Fatima. A surly-looking Hadim, or guardian, stood at the door, demanding a dollar in the most authoritative Arab tone. We therefore did not enter. At Al-Madinah and at Mecca, the traveller's hand must be perpetually in his pouch. No stranger in Paris or in London is more surely or more severely taken in. Already I began to fear that my eighty pounds would not suffice for all the expenses of sightseeing, and the apprehension was justified by the sequel. My only friend was the boy Mohammed, who displayed a fiery economy that brought him into considerable disrepute with his countrymen. They saw with emotion that he was preaching parsimony to me solely that I might have more money to spend at Mecca under his auspices. This being palpably the case, I threw all the blame of penuriousness upon the young Machiavel's shoulders, and resolved, as he had taken charge of my finances at Al-Medina, so at Mecca to administer them myself. After praying at the window to the great disgust of the Hadim, who openly asserted that we were low fellows, we passed through some lanes lined with beggars and bad with children, till we came to a third little mosque situated due south of the larger one. This is called the Masjid Arafat, 
and is erected upon a mound also called Tal Arafat, because on one occasion the prophet, being unable to visit the holy mountain at the pilgrimage season, stood there, saw through the intervening space, and in spirit performed the ceremony. Here also we looked into a window instead of opening the door with a silver key, and the mesquine appearance of all within prevented my regretting the necessity of economy. In India or in Sindh, every village would have a better mosque. Our last visit was to a fourth chapel, the Masjid Ali, so termed because the apostle's son-in-law had a house upon this spot. Footnote. Ibn Jubayyar informs us that Abu Bakr, Aisha and Omar had habitations at Cuba. End footnote. After praying there, and terribly hot the little hole was, we repaired to the last place of visitation at Cuba, a large deep well called the Bil al-Arith, in a garden to the west of the Mosque of Piety, with a little oratory adjoining it. A Persian wheel was going drowsily round, and the cool water fell into a tiny pool, whence it furled and bubbled away in a childish mimicry of a river. The music sounded sweet in my ears. I stubbornly refused to do any more praying, though Sheikh Hamid, for form's sake, reiterated with parental emphasis how very wrong it was. And I sat down, as the Prophet himself did not disdain to do, with the resolution of enjoying on the brink of the well a few moments of unwanted kaif. The heat was overpowering, though it was only nine o'clock. The sound of the stream was soothing, that water wheel was creaking a lullaby, and the limes and pomegranates, gently rustling, shed voluptuous fragrance through the morning air. I fell asleep, and, wondrous the contrast, dreamed that I was once more standing by the wall whereon hang the crucified wine. Looking upon the valley of the Lian, with its glaucous seas and grey skies, and banks here and there white with snow. The Bir al-Aris, footnote. Some authors mention a second Bir al-Aris, belonging in part to the Caliph Osman. According to Yakut, Aris is the Hebrew or Syriac word for peasant. He quotes the plural form Arisun and Ararisa. End footnote. The Bir al-Aris, so-called after a Jew of al-Medina, is one which the apostle delighted to visit. He would sit upon its brink with his bare legs hanging over the side, and his companions used to imitate his example. This practice caused a sad disaster. In the sixth year of his caliphate, Osman, according to Abu Felda and Yakut, dropped from his finger the prophetic ring, which, engraved into three lines with Muhammad Apostle of Allah, had served to seal the letters sent to neighboring kings, and had descended to the first three successors. Footnote. Others assert, with less probability, that the article in question was lost by one Ma'akah, a favorite of Osman. As that ill-fated caliph's troubles began at the time of this accident, the ring is generally compared to Solomon's. Our popular authors who assert that Muhammad himself lost the ring are greatly in error. End footnote. The precious article was not recovered after three days' search, and the well was thenceforward called Bir al-Khatim, of the seal ring. It is also called the Bir al-Taflat, of saliva. 
Footnote. According to some authors, Muhammad drew a bucket of water, drank part of the contents, spat into the rest, and poured it back into the well, which instantly became sweet. Even Jubayar applies the epithet Bir al-Taflat peculiarly to the Aris well. Many other authors are not so exact. End footnote. It is also called the Bir al-Taflat, or saliva, because the prophet honored it by expectoration as, by the by, he seems to have done to almost all the wells in Al-Madinah. The effect of the operation upon the Bil al-Aris, says the historians, was to sweeten the water which before was salt. Their testimony, however, did not prevent my detecting a pronounced medicinal taste in the lukewarm draught drawn for me by Sheikh Hamid. In Mohammed's days the total number of wells is recorded to have been twenty. Most of them have long since disappeared, but there still remain seven whose waters were drunk by the prophet, and which, in consequence, the Zer is directed to visit. Footnote. The pious perform the lesser ablution upon the brink of the seven wells, and drink of the remnant of the water in Tarabuk, or to secure the blessings of God. End footnote. They are known by the classical title of Sabaabar, or the seven wells, and their names are included in this couplet. Aris and Gars, and Ruma and Buzat, and Busat with Bayruha and Ein. Footnote. Some alter the third, the fifth, and the seventh names to Bir al-Nabi, a well in the Kuba gardens, Bir al-Khurbal, and Bir al-Fukayir, where the Prophet, together with Salman the Persian and others of his companions, planted date trees. The Bir al-Aris has already been described. The Bir al-Gharas, Gharas, or Ghurs, so-called, it is said, from the place where it was sunk, about half-mile northeast of the Kuba Mosque, is a large well with an abundance of water. Muhammad used to perform ablution on its brink, and directed Ali to wash his corpse with seven skins full of the water. The Birruma is a large well with a spring at the bottom, dug in the Wadi al-Akik, to the north of the mosque al-Qiblatayn. It is called Kalif Mazni, the old well of Mazni, in this tradition. The best of old wells is the old well of Mazni. And ancient it must be if the legends say true, that when Abu Karb besieged Al-Medina, A.D. 495, he was relieved of sickness by drinking its produce. Some assert that it afforded the only sweet water in Al-Medina when the Prophet arrived there. The town becoming crowded by an influx of visitors, this water was sold by its owner, a man of the Benu Khafar tribe, or, according to others, by one Mazni, a Jew. Osman at last bought it by paying upwards of 100 camels. The Bir Buzaat or Bizaat or Bisaat is in the Nahil or palm plantations outside the Bab al-Shami or northwestern gate of Al-Madina on the right of the road leading to Ohod. Whoever washes in its waters three times shall be healed. The Bir Buzat is near the Bakiya cemetery on the left of the road leading to Cuba. The prophet used to bathe in the water, and he declared it healthy to the skin. The Bir Bayruha, under whose trees the prophet was fond of sitting, 
lies outside the Babdara al Ziyafa, leading to Mount Ohod. The Camus gives the word Bairuha upon the measure of Failuha. Some authorities upon the subject of Chiyarat write Bairuha, Birha, the well of Ha, and variously suppose Ha to be the name of a man, a woman, or a place. Yahut mentions other pronunciations, Bariha, Bariha, Bairiha, etc. The Birin is in a large garden east of Cuba. Little is said in books about this well, and the people of Al-Medina do not know the name. End footnote. After my sleep, which was allowed to last until a pipe or two of Latakia had gone round the party, we remounted our animals. Returning towards Al-Madina, my companions pointed out to me on the left of the village a garden called Al-Madjunia. It contains a quarry of the yellow loam or bowl earth called by the Arabs Tafel, by the Persians gil il and by the Sindians Metu. It is used as soap in many parts of the east, and mixed with oil it is supposed to cool the body and to render the skin fresh and supple. It is related that the prophet cured a Badawi of the Benu Haris tribe of fever by washing him with a pot of tafel dissolved in water, and hence the earth of Al-Madina derived its healing fame. As far as I could learn from the Madani, this clay is no longer valued by them, either medicinally or cosmetically. The only use they could mention was its being eaten by the fair sex when in the peculiar state described by chlorosis. End of chapter 19. Recording by Pentti Hirvonen in Finland.